All right, good evening everyone. If you don't know me, my name is Vineet and welcome to City Reach and welcome specifically to Found. Now, I'm going to start with a question. What is faith? What I'm going to do is I'm going to get you guys to just split into pairs with the person next to you. We'll give you about 20 to 30 seconds, but if you had one word to describe faith, what would it be? Discuss amongst yourselves. So, can you put your hand up if you said something like trust? Okay. What about something like belief? Yeah. Uh, maybe conviction? No. Dependence? Alright, if, if there was any other, other words, what would you say? Just shout it out. Assurance. Assurance. Oh, good one. Devotion. 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 Good one as well. Yeah. Ah, well, as Ollie said earlier, we're currently in the middle of a series called Let's Faith It. Where, where we're really just focusing on this word faith. And what it really means and what it really looks like. So last week, Ollie talked about the object of our faith, that our faith is about and centred around Jesus Christ. But tonight, we're going to see that faith is about following Jesus wherever he leads. Right? Faith is following Jesus wherever he leads. Now, in fact, Jesus uses, uses the phrase, follow me, 22 times in just the Gospels, right? In just the four biographies of Jesus, he uses the phrase, follow me, 22 times. So for example, in the start of Mark, in Mark 1, he, sa he says to two fishermen, Simon and Andrew, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And he then calls James and John. At the start of John, Jesus says to Philip, follow me. In Luke 5, he says to Levi, the tax collector, follow me. And in Matthew 9, Jesus calls Matthew, the author of the book, another tax collector, and he says, follow me. And it wasn't just spe specific to this particular group of individuals, right? No, Jesus actually calls this for all of his disciples. That's why he says in Mark 8, that whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and what? Follow. And follow me. So once again, tonight we're going to see that faith is about following Jesus wherever he leads us. But I want to start with a question for you guys to think about for yourselves. Am I willing to follow Jesus wherever he goes? Am I willing to follow Jesus wherever he leads me? And before the, you know, the Christians in the room say, absolutely, Beneath, I just want to actually make sure we don't oversimplify that question, because that's a really hard question, right? And we're going to see tonight that faith is costly. Right? Faith is costly. It requires a whole lot of sacrifice. So are you willing to follow Jesus wherever he leads and despite the costs. Because tonight in our passage, Matthew 8, 18 to 22, we're going to encounter two individuals who approach Jesus 
But they actually have the wrong approach in following him. So the first individual is a teacher of the law who was too quick in following Jesus without actually coming to count the costs of following him. And the second individual is a disciple who was actually too slow in following Jesus. The cost of following Jesus was too much for him and it weighed him down and it prevented him from actually following. And then finally we're going to talk about what is the right response to following Jesus. But before we get into that, will you pray with me? God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, we need you tonight. And we long for you to be moving and stirring in our hearts. So Father, as we open your word, Lord, speak to us tonight, Father. Give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see you, and give us hearts to be able to receive you tonight, Lord. May you speak to us powerfully and help us, convict us, challenge us, encourage us to continue to grow in our own faith as we look to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, well, let's get into our passage, Matthew 8, 18 and 22. And I encourage you guys to take out your Bibles and follow along, or even take out some notes, and let's uh, do this together. But why don't we read from verse 18 of Matthew 8. It says, When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Now let's stop there, right? Because here's Jesus, who is becoming immensely popular right now. There's crowds of people flocking to him, and yet he's going away from them, right? He doesn't seek to bask in his own fame and glory. Why is that? Is he just an introvert who's just super socially drained? Because, yeah, I've been there. Any hands up? Have you been there before? Yep. Nice, I'm not alone. Um, but what's probably more likely is that instead of basking in his own fame and glory, he actually has a bigger priority. Right? He was far more preoccupied about going to other towns and other regions so that he could preach there also. So in other words, Jesus didn't come to this earth for himself. He came for us. He knew that people didn't need his miracles they needed his message. All right, let's continue on. Verse 19. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, hold on a minute. Isn't that, on the surface, a beautiful statement? Like, we just talked about how faith is following Jesus wherever he leads. And he literally says, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. What a remarkable statement of faith, right? Right? Because if you look at how Jesus responds, it doesn't seem so. Jesus, based on Jesus' reaction in verse 20, this teacher of the law clearly didn't actually mean or know what he was actually saying. But why? Why did he say it? There's heaps of bunch of different reasons he could have said it. Maybe it was just peer pressure. You know, there's crowds flocking around him. Maybe it's just this social pressure to follow. Or maybe, um, yeah, well, Jesus is becoming this really popular figure. Maybe it's just really glamorous to be one of his disciples. And we also know that this passage follows last week's passage, which Holly preached on, 
where Jesus did a bunch of miraculous healings. He healed the centurion's daughter, Peter's mother-in-law, and various people in the town. So maybe it was just he was amazed by what Jesus could do rather than who he is. Or perhaps if we just take off our cynical hat for a moment, he was actually really genuine. But the poor guy just had no idea what he was trying to get himself into. And this brings us to our first wrong approach to following Jesus. right? Because this man was far too quick to commit to following Jesus because he had absolutely no idea what he was getting himself into. In other words, this teacher of the law had conviction without consideration. He had conviction without consideration. He didn't really consider what he was committing to. And before you cry out, oh, you coconut, I want to ask you a question, right? Have you ever committed to something without really knowing what you're committing yourself to? Have you, for example, ever signed off on something without really reading the fine print or the terms and conditions? I have. <laughs> or have you ever committed to something like work or a ministry opportunity without really knowing what was going to demand of you? Again, I have. <laughs> It kind of reminds me of a scene in one of my favourite TV shows, Friends, right? In season six, the whole gang, they go to a silent auction. I wonder if any of you guys remember the scene where they unveil their grand prize, which is this big yacht. And guess who was the winner of that auction? Mr. Joey Tribbiani, right? Because Joey thought he was just guessing or estimating the value of this boat. And turns out he put down $20,000. And so little did he know that he actually committed to buying this boat with money that he didn't have. Yeah, you can imagine this shock there. And that's a pretty funny story from a funny TV show, but let me share a more personal story, a bit more of an embarrassing story. Um, many of you guys might remember that myself and Lockie went to Sydney um, in Je July. I think he knows what story I'm going to share. And uh, yeah, so we went for a conference in, in Sydney and we decided to stay a week later, uh, mainly because we were so desperate to see this musical called Hamilton. And yeah, but much to our distress, there were no tickets available for the whole week and we were so upset about this. But I was so determined, I'm like, now nah, I'm going to find tickets. So every night I'd be checking again and again to see if there were tickets available. And then one night, just randomly out of nowhere, there were two tickets available. But the catch was it was from a website that no one had heard of, including myself. Right, but but that doesn't matter, right? I just I just called Lockie and we were just so excited that there, there, there were tickets available that we didn't really research it, we just we just went for it. And the tickets sorry, the website promised the tickets by a particular date. Well that date came and we didn't get the tickets. And so a few days came by, then a week went by, and then a couple of weeks went by, and still no tickets. And so I was talking to a friend, and they said, why don't you check the official website? So I did. And it turns out, at the very top of the Hamilton website, in very clear, bold letters, it says, we do not accept tickets from this website. So we were pretty uh, gutted, and we definitely thought we got scammed. 
Um, praise God that we did get our tickets a day before, a day before the show. But the moral of the story is don't commit to something without really doing your research and knowing what you're committing to. And I don't know if that's happened to you, but clearly that's the issue here with this teacher of the law. So he's committing to something without really knowing what he's committing to. And as we said before, faith is costly. We see that in Jesus' response. So let's keep reading from verse 20. So Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of God, so Son of Man, has no place to lay his head. That's a pretty confusing statement. But before we get into it, I just want to appreciate that Jesus didn't just immediately say yes or no. So Jesus wasn't just so desperate for followers that he'd just accept anyone. But also, he didn't reject the man just because of his ignorance either. He gave him a chance. In fact, Jesus simply sought to warn the man of what it would cost for him to follow him. In other words, Jesus wanted him to know what he was committing to before he committed to it. And that kind of reminds me of um, the medical field. So as many of you would know, I'm a medical student taking a year off this year to uh, yeah, full-time train for ministry. But this reminds me of the medical field in that uh, doctors have to make sure that their patients are aware of all relevant information so that they can come to what's called an informed decision. So even if a patient comes up to you and says, hey, I want, I want you to do this procedure, we still have to make sure they know all the details before we go through with it. And so just like a good doctor, Jesus wanted to ensure that his followers were fully informed of what they were getting themselves into. Because the reality is, the journey of faith is actually really difficult. And it's full of costs and sacrifice. It's no walk in the park, right? And if you look at what Jesus says, what he sacrificed, his cost was that of comfort. Jesus was willing to give up his comfort for the sake of his mission. You see that in the fact that as he is constantly on the move from town to town preaching the gospel, he actually had no regular home for himself. He also left behind his family, his parents, his siblings. And he gave up the opportunity to have his own family for the sake of sharing his message. Jesus was willing to give up his comfort for the sake of his mission. And in truth, Jesus' life was far from comfortable. In fact, it was full of persecution. He had so much opposition, particularly from the teachers of the law, like this man here, but even the Roman government who, of course, captured him, trialed him, who beat and mocked and ultimately killed him. And persecution wasn't just a part of Jesus' life. It's actually a call to all of his followers. That's why he says in John 15, that if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. And in verse 20 it says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. So that begs my, my question for today. Is your faith costly or is it comfortable? 
Is your faith costly? Or are you just following Jesus because it's comfortable? So let me give you some examples, right? Did you come to church tonight because you wanted to be, um, you wanted to be stretched and transformed? Or did you come to church tonight because that's what you do on a Sunday? Or that's because, just because that's what your family do? Or that's where your friends are? Do you give up even a bit of your time to serve your church community? Or do you come to sit and to receive from others? Does your faith spur you on to greet the newcomer or to love those who are more difficult to love? Or, for a moment, why don't you just turn around and look around you? Are you just sitting with the people that you're comfortable with? And as you go to school or to uni or to work, do your friends know that you're a Christian? Or are you just more comfortable having your faith lived out quietly so that your reputation isn't damaged. Let me ask it again. Is your faith costly? Or are you just following Jesus because it's comfortable? Well, we've seen how one man who encountered Jesus had the wrong approach to following Jesus, right? He was far too quick in committing to following him because he had no idea what the costs were. Let's continue to read and meet our second individual in verse 21. It says, Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, just hold on a minute. Like, is it just me or is that just immensely savage? <laughs> like, you're almost expecting him to, like, there to be another line which is where Jesus kind of explains himself, but it just kind of just ends there. You're just like, wait, what? Like, did I just, did I read that right? Because on the surface, this disciple's request seems more than reasonable, right? To bury his father? So what's Jesus saying? Is he saying that it's wrong to grieve over your loved ones? Is he saying it's wrong to care for your family? Or is there something deeper going on? Well, we know that Jesus grieved over the dead, right? For example, in John 11, we see that Jesus was deeply moved by the death of his dear friend Lazarus. In fact, it is there that we have the Bible's shortest verse. Does anyone know it? Jesus wept. Look at you guys go. Bible memorization. Well done. Well done. Jesus mourned with those who mourned. So clearly he wasn't against mourning for your loved ones. And likewise, Jesus couldn't have been against caring for your family because time and time again you see him caring for his own, especially his mother, right? What a mummy's boy. Um... (laughs) Perhaps the the greatest example of his love was when he was on the cross. And as he was dying and suffering, he saw his mother and had great concern over her future welfare. And so in verse 26 it says, When Jesus saw his mother there, the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, 
He said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his care. So clearly, Jesus cared for his family. So why is Jesus saying this? What does he mean when he say, says, let the dead bury their own dead? Well, clearly, like the first interaction, Jesus responds like this because this man had the totally wrong approach to following him. While the first man was clearly too quick in following Jesus because he didn't count the cost, the second individual was clearly too slow. It sounded like this man was keen to follow Jesus, but, that, but he actually says, first, let me go and bury my father. So clearly in his mind, there is something far more important to him than following Jesus. The cost of following Jesus was far too much for him, and see, that is the problem. It seems like this disciple understood who Jesus was, Far more than the scribe, because the scribe calls Jesus teacher, but the disciple calls him Lord. So you can tell that he has an understanding of who Jesus is and who and what he calls, but it's an understanding without urgency. You could kind of just record what he um, reword what he says in verse twenty-one to something like, "Jesus, I'm keen to follow you, but not just yet." Let me just do something first. What does that sound like? You know, I'll do it, but just not yet. Yeah. Oh, exactly. And then what do you do? You procrastinate. Right? That's procrastination. And I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm a master procrastinator. Uh, <laughs> I always find things to do to replace the things that are probably more important. You know, if, if, even if they are important things themselves, right? So, for example, if I have an assignment due in a couple of days, um, oh, she's not here today, this, this is very real for someone. <laughs> anyway, um, if I have, have an assignment due in a few days, I'll tend to procrastinate either with something that's useless, like Netflix, or even with something that's actually pretty useful, like cleaning my room. Like, my mum knows how, how terribly messy my room is. You know, that, that's still a really important thing to do. Just probably not as important as, you know, doing my assignment, right? And so just like that, there will always be something that threatens us from following Christ. Right? There, is, there will always be something that threatens us to prevent us from following Christ now. And it could still be good things. It could still be meaningful things. It could still be important things. But nothing is more important than following Jesus. Let me say that again. There's always going to be something that threatens to stop us from following Jesus, even important things, but there is nothing more important than following Jesus. So for the scribe, he was far too quick in declaring his, um, his, his following because he didn't count the cost. But for the disciple, he was far too slow because the costs were weighing him down. I just want to spend some time more specifically talking to, to those who may not be Christians here today. My question for you is this. What's holding you back from following Jesus? What's weighing you down? And 
to ask more generally to everyone, what is something in your life that you're not willing to give up for God? Are you willing to give up your comforts to follow God? Are you willing to give up your preferences? What about this? Are you willing to give up even your dreams and your aspirations? Right? Not that I'm perfect, but I was convicted at the end of last year to take a year off of my degree because I wanted to grow my faith and others' faith. Are you willing to give up your dreams and aspirations if that's what it takes? Are you willing to give up your reputation to your friends and your classmates or your workmates? Or probably the toughest one for me, are you willing to give up your loved ones, even your family or your close friends? That's a really tough one. and It reminds me of one of my closest friends who comes from a Hindu family. And uh, by God's grace, he was really convicted to follow Christ. But when he approached his parents, his parents did not take it well. In fact, his dad threatened to disown him. What would you do in that situation? If it was either Jesus or your family? Now for him, and this is why I admire him so much, he said, you know what? No, Jesus is more important. And so he became a Christian even if it meant that his father wouldn't talk to him anymore. So what is something in your life that you're not willing to give to God? Are you not only, so are you not only willing to count the cost, unlike the scribe, but are you willing to pay the price, unlike the disciple? Because unfortunately for the disciple, the cost of for following Jesus was too much for him and that weighed him down and he was too slow in following him. So I wonder which of these approaches you resonate with more. Are you more of the overzealous kind or the overcautious? We've talked about two wrong approaches to following Jesus. But what is the right approach to following Jesus? Well, let me just give it to you straight. The right approach is having dependence without delay. Having dependence without delay. And how do we do that? Let me just give you three practical suggestions. First of all, let's look to Jesus. Let's look to his example. Firstly, let's look to his example of his dependence on God. Right, So if you cast our minds back to Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount that we did at the start of the year, Jesus has a, a teaching where he says that we shouldn't worry about the physical needs of our world, that we don't need to worry about food or drink or shelter or clothing, but we can seek first the kingdom of God. Why? Because he had such confidence that his Father would provide. And if you look at our passage today in verse 20, he was willing to have no place to sleep because he had such trust that God would provide. So let's be people who depend on God. Even when the costs are great, are we willing to depend on him? Secondly, Jesus felt the weight of the cost, yet chose God's will over his own. 
So now if we cast our minds forward to Matthew 26, we see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. And you can clearly see that the weight, the cost of all of this is weighing down on him. And he cries out in agony saying, if there's any other way. And for most of us, we'd give up, right, in that moment, when the agony is too much. But what does Jesus do? He says, yet not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. He was willing to lay aside his own desires, his own comforts, his own plans, even when it was, so, it was weighing down on him so much, because he trusted God. He trusted God's will over his own. So let's look to his example of a man who was willing to lay down his own plans for his father. And finally, Jesus was willing to pay the price. The cost for Jesus was actually giving up his own life. Right? He came into this world where, even when he didn't need to for us sinners who rejected God and he lived that perfect life for us and he died the death that we deserved and he rose again gaining victory on our behalf. He paid it all for you and for me. So let's give thanks to him. Even when it's hard, we always have a reason to give thanks and to have joy. So it says in 2 Corinthians 8, a beautiful picture of the gospel. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. And we see that in our passage today, verse 20. He was rich but became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. So let's give thanks to Jesus for the price he paid for us. And secondly, not only can we look at, to Jesus' example, but we can actually look to the example of the disciples. Now, as we all know, the disciples aren't perfect and they did many dumb things that we can also learn from. But actually, they give us an example of how it is to actually follow Jesus. Do you remember when I listed off those disciples that Jesus cried out, follow me? Let's look at their response. In Mark chapter 1, when he cries out, follow me, to Simon and Andrew, and then later to James and John, what do they do? They left everything behind. They left their rods, they left their boats. James and John left their family, and they followed Jesus at once. In John 1, when Jesus cries out to Philip, follow me. He immediately gets his mate Nathaniel and they both follow Jesus together. In Luke 5, he cries out to Levi, follow me. And Levi immediately leaves his tax booth to follow Jesus. And the same thing with Matthew in chapter 9. At once, they left everything behind to follow Jesus because they recognized that nothing is more important than following him. So let's look to these guys' as examples of people who are willing to give up anything for him. And finally, I want us to remember that no matter how great the cost might seem, what we gain through Christ is far greater than what we will lose. 
What we gain through Christ is far greater than what we will lose. For example, in Matthew 19, Jesus says that anyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wives, children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Do we believe that tonight? Do we believe Romans 8? It says that our present sufferings cannot compare to the future glory we receive. Jesus does call us to sacrifice, and sometimes that cost is great. But we need to remember that whatever we lose here will be nothing compared to what we gain in Jesus. Now, there is really no no better example um, of people who give up everything to follow Jesus than our missionaries. And so we found, a, we found a letter of someone who was about to go on mission and he was writing to his future father-in-law to ask permission for his daughter to come with him. I want you guys to close your eyes because this is really deep and I want you to just really listen to these words. So the missionary's name is Adoniram Judson, and he writes this. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring, to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her? And for you. For the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God, can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory? With the crown of righteousness, brightened by the acclamations of praise, we shall resound to her Saviour from heathens saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. Isn't that beautiful? That no matter what we experience on this earth, has nothing compared to the glory we'll receive. Well, if the band want to come up, let me just close with this. Let's go back to that question we asked at the start. Are you willing to follow Jesus wherever he leads? Are you willing to count the costs of following him and yet not let that weigh you down? Are you willing to give that to God and depend on him? Let me finish with one more passage. John 21, Jesus talks to Peter, who had just recently denied him three times. And Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? three times. And he says, yes, I do. And then he says, 
that when you were younger, you clothed yourselves and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you got older, you let someone else clothe you and you took their hand and you let them take you wherever, even to the places where you didn't want to go. He was referring to Peter's death. Are you willing to follow Jesus wherever he leads, no matter the cost?